If you are a Christian coach, speaker, or influencer, this is the right place. You're listening to the Keep Writing Podcast, a resource for biblical encouragement, spirit-led wisdom, and practical ideas as you answer God's calling to increase your authority by becoming an author. I'm Nika Maples, and I can help you write your next book so that you can take your business to the next level while advancing the kingdom and transforming people in Jesus' name. The top level of authority in your life is your spirit. The spirit then has authority over what? The soul. And what does the soul have authority over? The body. It's spirit, soul, body. That's the hierarchy. That's the authority chain. A lot of us have our body calling the shots, telling us what to do, saying, I'm hungry. I want this now. I'm tired. I want to lay down now. And our bodies bark at us. Well, maybe they meow at us. I call the spirit the captain because it's really in charge. The soul is the kid. The captain on the plane is the one flying the plane, has the plan, has knows exactly where you're going. The kid is the one kicking the back of your seat. The kid will be loud and bothersome. Your soul gets that way with you. But you don't have to do what your soul says. And neither do you have to do what your body says. I call this the kitten because nothing's more demanding than a little kitten. At least you can reason with a kid. At least you can explain. You can reason with a kid. You can put him in timeout. A kitten doesn't stay in timeout, do they? Bless their heart. They do not. A kitten's not going to listen to your explanation. A kitten just keeps meowing. I was on a flight the other day. And so I didn't know you were allowed to bring a kitten on a plane. Somebody brought a kitten on a plane and she was sitting right behind me. And I don't know if you know this, but kittens get freaked out when the plane's taken off. So it was like, meow, 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 meowed the whole flight. And this is the part that was ridiculous. The girl, I think she was like a um, college age girl. The girl was going, shh, it's going to be all right. It's going to be all I wanted to go, it doesn't understand you. It was going, meow. You're okay. And I was like, kittens are inconsolable. All it knew was it was scared or it was uncomfortable. So you have the captain, the kid, and the kitten. And they're the kid and the kitten are loud. It's hot and noisy thoughts. Hot and noisy thoughts. Hard to ignore. Our thought is with a kid, you know, with a kid, isn't it easy to be like, oh, just take this iPad and be quiet. I need a second alone. Just take this iPad. And we give our soul Whatever the pacifier for our soul is, we do the same thing. We're like, Joe, just take this and be quiet, right? Just just, just take this scrolling and scrolling on your phone. Just check Facebook and be quiet for a minute. Or the kitten. Kitten doesn't want an iPad, but you might give it more milk or more treats. You know, you give it more treats. Just take a treat and be quiet. And you throw something at it. You do that with your body too. It's just, oh, just take this and be quiet. You're never going to do that to the captain because the captain is not going to take a treat. They want the destination. So the green line is flesh. Below the green line is flesh. Above the green line is spirit. Above the green line is spirit. Below the green line is flesh. That's a little something you can, a thought for you, a question you can ask for yourself. Is this thought above the green line or below the green line? Because if the thought is below the green line, it's not going to lead to anything good. If it's above the green line, it's going to lead to life. So that's something you can ask yourself when you hear your body screaming, I want, I want, I want, I want a Diet Coke, I want a Diet Coke. It'd be like, okay, is this below the green line or above the green line? Is my captain saying I want a Diet Coke? Is my soul, the kid saying I want a Diet Coke? Or is the kitten just meowing a lot? 
is my body saying, oh, okay, well, it's one of these two. It's below the green line. I don't need it. Just a little something to help you with your thoughts. Sometimes you do need something and you're, you'll recognize, oh, my captain is saying, saying that. So the front of your brain, that's your prefrontal cortex. The nickname of your prefrontal cortex is PFC. And it's your captain. This is where wisdom resides. This is how God's going to communicate with you, like telling you what, how to make wise choices. But then you also have other parts of your brain. This part here is the hippocampus. The hippocampus, that's your kid. It's in your brain. Your hippocampus is storing memories and making decisions about the future based on your memories. So if you failed before, if you failed with health and wellness before, your kid is going to have a lot to say about making new choices now. It's like, oh, we got all these memories. We got all these memories right here about failure. And your kid's going to be noisy. What makes this any different? What, what makes you think you can change? You've tried before. Okay. Well, just know where it's coming from. And then your amygdala. And that's the kitten. You know why? Your fight, flight, or freeze response comes from the amygdala. And notice how close it is to your memories. Your fight, flight, or freeze response is a lot of times activated by your memories. It's so close. Now, wisdom is pretty far away in your brain. But you got to ask yourself, is my body putting me into fight, flight, or freeze? And I'm scared right now. And that's why I'm reaching for a quick comfort in food or whatever. And you just ask yourself where it's coming from. And then I taught you this as well. The, the thought model, your circumstance, your thoughts, your feelings, your actions, and your results. When you can diagram your thoughts, that's when you can put a star by the thought and say, now I see the thought that led me to these actions. And I can ask myself now, where is that thought coming from? Is this a thought that the captain would say, that the kid would say, or that the kitten would say? Because if the thought is you failed before, what makes this any different? Your captain's not saying that. It's your memory bank. It's the kid. So you know how to identify where the thought came from. Well, then guess what? That's not going to serve you well because everything below the green line leads to destruction. The destruction of your plan, the destruction of your hope, the destruction of your dream, the destruction of your ambition, the destruction of your motivation. Everything below the line leads to destruction, the destruction of your excitement, the destruction of all of that stuff. So just Use the tools that I've given you so far to identify your thoughts and notice where's this thought coming from. I want to take it captive. Now, you ready for something new? New information has to be attached to old information, which is why I gave you a little review. Our thoughts are so important. And you're going to see that today, even though I'm going to move into some really practical, concrete things. I'm going to tell you the story of Matthew and Isabel. This is a parable. It's an analogy. And you might figure it out as I go along, but don't try to figure it out. Just let me explain it. And when we get to the end, I'll tell you what it all means. So Matthew and Isabel are married and they have 12 children. And Isabel is a stay-at-home mom. So here she is in her house and Matthew is outside the door because he works. He So... He came home one day with this big bowl of soup. He's like, I love this soup. Isabel, I brought soup tonight. And she's like, yeah, I love it that you brought some food. So he's like, I passed this amazing restaurant on the way. They have this soup. So I had to stop. 
So we got this soup and he, he gives it to Isabel. She's like, puts it in 12 little bowls for her 12 little children. And she puts it in two big bowls for her and for Matthew. And then um, there's some leftover. So she takes the some that is left over and she just puts it for very quick access in the refrigerator. She's like putting the leftovers in a storage bowl. And it was all well and good the first day. Then the second day, Matthew comes home. He's he's like, oh, Isabel, I passed that restaurant. I got that. Yeah, I just love that soup. I I don't know. I don't know. Where have I been my whole life? I didn't know the soup was at this restaurant. I bought some home. She's like, okay, I'm happy about it. I don't have to cook or anything. She she gives the soup to her 12 children and puts the rest in a bowl in the refrigerator. He comes home the third day. She's like, what have you got in your hand there, Matthew? He's like, the soup. I, I just love the soup. And she's like, okay, I think the kids are getting tired of it three days in a row, but we'll do it. This went on for a month soup every day. Well, she's like, Matthew, stop bringing the soup through the door, please. Stop bringing the soup through the door. He's like, I can't help it. I just really love this soup. She's like, well, the refrigerator is full and I don't have any more storage bowls. The refrigerator is full. The kids are up to here with soup. After a month, he's like, he doesn't stop. He brings it again. So she's like, I got to think of something I can do. So she does some research online. She figures out you can put, you can reduce soup, high concentrate into like a bullion cube. Y'all know bullion cubes, how you can reduce stock and soup to a bullion cube. So she starts making bullion cubes out of the soup that he brings home. And she starts putting them in the cabinet. She has all these cabinets in the kitchen and they're filled with bullion cubes, like it's just stacked in there. And she's like, okay, after two two more months of this, he's still bringing home the soup. She's like, okay, listen to me. Listen to me. Right now, the refrigerator is filled with storage bowls of soup. We're eating as much as we can. And then I also have packed, every cabinet in the kitchen is packed with these bullion cube squares that I have made from the soup. So we're set for life. If you, if you never brought home another soup, I could reconstitute these and I could use these forever. Like we're set for life. I don't even have any room for the stuff I used to have in the kitchen because I got bullion cubes everywhere that we're, we should be sh- sharing with the world. And he said, I can't, I can't stop. I just love it so much. He brings it home again. And she's like, well, now Matthew, you're not listening to me. The kids have stopped eating it. They won't open their mouths. I put the soup in front of them and they will not open their mouths. All 12 kids have stopped eating the soup. And so now what can I do? I'm just going to dump it on the floor. And if you, can you see we've got a soup problem? I can't do anything with the soup you keep bringing me. And so she dumps it on the floor and he keeps bringing it and he keeps bringing it because he can't help it. So now they're like, I want to use a different color for this. Now they're like up to their waist in soup. They're up to their waist. She's done everything she can do with it. Well, you know what starts happening It's so weird. You know, when something floods, it swells. So like when you have water in the house, like the walls start bulging. If you've ever had a flood, the the wood on the furniture starts bulging. The walls start bulging. Everything starts swelling. So the house starts like swelling. It's like getting bigger and bulkier, this this house. And but it's all because of the soup, because it's just absorbing the refrigerator's full, the cabinets are full, the kids have stopped eating, and now it's just she's just like 
thanks for the soup. She just pours it on the ground and it's like ruining the house. And finally he comes home one day. Isabel's not in the kitchen at all. She's not in the kitchen. And he's like, Isabel, where are you? And Isabel is laying on the couch, just totally fried. She's on the couch and he's like, Isabel, what is wrong with you? She's like, uh, he goes, no, talk to me. What's wrong with you? And she's like, at the soup, I can't do anything anymore. He's like, get up. She goes, I can't. He says, get up. I can't, I can't, I can't. And he goes, all right, I have to change because now I see what I've done because I wouldn't stop wanting if I could just find a way to realize that the soup and my desire for the soup is ruining everything. So maybe this soup doesn't make me happy. I thought it did, but maybe it doesn't. So that silly story is not really about Matthew and Isabel. It's the story of insulin resistance. This is what happens. Matthew is our mouth. The soup is sugar. And when we, and, and Isabel is insulin. So when we bring sugar into our body home, there are 12 systems. We have 12 systems, our skeletal system, our muscular system, our you know respiratory system. We have 12 systems. And here's what insulin does. When, when you bring sugar, when I bring sugar into our body home, it's instantly into glucose, which is like a soup. And your blood can only handle one teaspoon of sugar at a time. There should only ever be one teaspoon of sugar in your blood at a time. Well, if you want to know how many teaspoons of sugar are in things. You just take that, look at the um, the nutrition information on the back of something and where it says grams of sugar, you just divide it by four. So like a um, Dr. Pepper is 31 grams. So that's seven, that's more than seven teaspoons of sugar. Well, when you dump seven teaspoons of sugar into an environment that can only hold one teaspoon at a time, your insulin is released by your pancreas to clean the glucose out of your bloodstream. That's its job. Isabel's job is do something with the soup. That's your insulin's job. Do something with the glucose. So here's what your insulin does. It puts it into quick storage in the refrigerator. That puts it into quick storage. After it feeds energy to your 12 systems, it puts it into quick storage. And once the quick storage is filled, it starts making what's called glycogen. That's like concentrated glucose. It's little bouillon cubes of sugar in a sense. Oversimplified, but yeah. And it packs it in your muscles and in your liver. And once your muscles and your liver are full of glycogen, it's packed all the concentrated glucose that you can put in there. Um, then insulin can't clean anymore out of the blood. So the sugar starts rising and it's a flood of glucose in your body, a flood of glucose. So where does it go? It becomes fat. That's where the house swells. Glucose gets cleaned out and sent to your body systems. But then when you got too much of it, it becomes this concentrated in your liver and in your muscles as glycogen. It could You could live on that a long time. But when you've even still bringing sugar in, it becomes fat. The house swells. So then that's when you reach insulin resistance and the body systems, the body systems stop eating it. They stop. They're overloaded with the soup of sugar and glucose and they stop eating it. And that's called pre-diabetes. That's insulin resistance. Isabel cannot do her job of feeding the children anymore because it's they're not responding to Isabel anymore. 
and your body systems stop responding to the insulin. So then this right here is diabetes. It's when insulin cannot be made by your body anymore. Isabel sits on the couch and stops. She says it can't do it anymore. And you have to inject insulin to be able to get this process going again. So this little story kind of was a silly way of understanding what happens when we put sugar in our bodies. I want to tell you that I have, for my adult life, I wouldn't say that it was in my high school years, but like starting in college, I started medicating myself with sugar. Whenever I felt sad or lonely or frustrated, the uh, ice cream cone or a sundae would do the trick. I would go and get as much sugar as I could get. I have been addicted to sugar for my adult life as a way of medicating myself from my feelings. And why? Because my thought was, this will make me feel better. This will make me happy. Ultimately, this was what was happening every time I did it. My body was so filled with sugar that suddenly it couldn't handle it anymore. So that's kind of like a sad story. Where are you going to take us from here, Nika? <laughs> well, there's hope. There, You can definitely reverse insulin resistance. You just have to change your thoughts about it. So here's one thing that really helped me. You need to know that you have like, there are two basic states that the body is in. You're in a fed state or a fasted state. Two states at all times that, that you can waver. If, you, if you've eaten recently, you're in a fed state and all your body is on mission. Insulin is wiping the glucose from the bloodstream. The body systems are using the glucose. They're packing the glycogen. They're, that's a fed state. You have recently eaten. Everybody is on mission. It's like this summer, this summer, our air conditioners were on all the time in Texas. You know that that nice sound when it's like it's quiet because it's off and then boom, it comes on and you're like, here comes a breeze. There was nothing like that this summer. They didn't turn off. They were just on the whole time. That's a fed state. And the problem is we're staying in that way and it's not supposed to happen. Everyone I know had air conditioner problems this summer as well. Everyone I know had some kind of little air conditioner problem that they had to get more of the refrigerant or they had to have the filters cleaned or something shut down. It's because they were being overworked and no one could do anything about it. It's just what happens when you overwork a machine. Your body's that way. Your body's very resilient, but it was never designed to stay in a fed state, okay? It was never designed to stay in a fed state. So I'm going to put this over here, fed state, and I'm going to put this over here, fasted state, because a fasted state is when your body's not working on food. It can work on other things. It can work on other things when it's not working on food. But a lot of times we just keep it working on food because we've been sold a lie that we need snacks all day, that we have to eat every two hours. And that's not true, but we tell ourselves it's true. And so we're like, I see it every two hours. That's what I was told. You know, so what you're doing is keeping your body in a fed state. So it can't do anything but work on food. It's just like constant digestion. Well, it's not supposed to do that. And here's what helps me a lot was finding out that there's a dopamine seesaw. And when we have sugar, a, a glucose spike, woo, our dopamine goes up. It feels good. When dopamine is released in your brain, your body feels, you feel good for just a just a little while. But the height of your dopamine spike is the same depth of your dopamine withdrawal. So I started wondering, why do I feel like so many ups and downs? 
Why do I feel so many ups and downs? Why do I feel so moody? It's like I'm I'm happy and I'm high and then I'm like crashed out. I'm I'm upset, you know, I'm I'm feel depressed. I I'm telling myself like I'm just so lonely. I'm always so lonely. I'll tell myself all this stuff. I'll have these and the lower I go, guess what I want so bad? Sugar to make me happy again. And the more sugar I give myself because I need more every time I have it because I've got to get higher than I was, then then I'm going to come down to the low and the lower is lower than it was. So I've got to have the sugar again. Sugar makes you need more sugar. Here's the thing. I don't want to be low in my fasted state so that I keep on eating and stay in a sped state. You can make the seesaw a little less drastic. Let's learn how to make the seesaw a little less drastic. If you will just lower your sugar intake, you're still off the ground in a fed state, but now you're off the ground in a fasted state. So it's like ongoing payoff. Let me say that again. The, the more sugar you depend on, that means that you're only feeling good in a fed state and you're not feeling good in a fasted state, the more sugar you have. If you will just raise the seesaw, have less sugar, less of a glucose spike, then what will happen is your fed state and your fasted state are, are kind of even. You just generally feel good. I would rather have that. How about y'all? I would rather have that. I would rather have lower the seesaw so the other side can come up a little bit and I don't have to self-medicate with sugar and sweets and desserts. So you may be asking, okay, well, but I use stevia or I use Splenda. You may be thinking that. the In the research I've done with this, Mainly two different books, one called The Glucose Revolution, which is really good, and another one called Eat Fast Feast. Both of those are good books. But they have indicated that like there's a tiny difference with those artificial sugars or other kinds of even stevia and monk fruit and stuff in agave that's that's processed in a way. So it's not don't think it's just all natural. It's been processed. So they said it doesn't change a glucose spike. All of it causes, if it's sweet on your tongue, it's causing a glucose spike. If it's sweet on your tongue, it's causing a glucose spike. And I was like, oh, you mean honey? Because I love honey. I love honey. And that's the most natural of them all. Raw honey is the most natural of them all. Yes, even that you should use carefully. And once I started paying attention to every kind of sweetener I use, not just refined sugar, but every kind of sweetener I use, then that's when I started seeing a difference of being more even keeled in my emotions, kind of not as many mood swings. Is it a relief to know? It's the sweetener, it's the glucose that's doing that to your mood swings. It's not you. There's not something wrong with you. That's what glucose does. Is it it takes you on this cycle that's that's crazy making. Let's just pull back. So how can we pull back? And I'm not saying give it all up for life because I certainly don't. Really, it's your thoughts. If you're like, oh, I'm going to give my body the day off. It's like sweet. It's nice. You're not feeling deprived and you stop thinking about food so much. Now, the last, the last thing I wanted to share with you, Proverbs 27, 7 says, the satisfied soul loathes the honeycomb, but to a hungry soul, every bitter thing is sweet. So uh, I have, I told you I've had this sugar 
compulsion for decades. And just this year at age 49, I decided to give all this stuff a try. I wasn't sure. I'm like, I'm the one freak freakazoid that this is not going to work for. There's no way that I'm going to be able to give up sugar for any amount of time. And all I had to do was be committed to letting myself fail. Like we used the analogy last week of potty training a kid. You don't say, James, I got I got news for you. We've thrown away all the diapers. Tomorrow, you're on your own, buddy. There's the toilet. And he's going to be like, didn't even compute. He's got to try and fail, try and fail, because that's his feedback. The urine on his legs is his feedback that he needs. The puddle in his bed is the feedback that he needs. The failure is the feedback that he needs to say, oh, I'm not doing this anymore. Remember, I use the toilet. We're not allowing ourselves to fail and have the feedback that we need to be successful. The only way James, little James, is going to be successful is if he fails a whole bunch of times and feels the discomfort. When he feels the discomfort enough times, it's like, oh, now I'm starting to get a little better. I'm starting to get some self-control with that area. You would never expect that of your two-year-old, and you don't need to expect it of yourself. Of like, today, no more sugar. That's not going to work. You have to allow yourself to try and fail and try and fail and get creative about how you approach it. You're learning. But I'll tell you that in trying and failing all year, it's not hard at all for me to go without sugar. I have sugar freedom because I created order and space over and over again until I got better and better at it. And the thing is, the other day I went by um, Dutch Bros, this coffee sweet shake place that's nearby. And I was like, I want the cotton candy. I've been craving this cotton candy shake. And I got this, I want a large, so like I get this cotton candy shake. And I'm going to tell you this, any other day in my life, I could have put that thing away. No problem. Like it would have been gone in a few seconds and I would have been like maybe wanting another one. I'm being honest, but I tasted it and I was like, oh, this is too sweet. But I would keep it because it was expensive. I felt like I paid $5.50 for it. So a little bit later, I was trying to get like, oh, it's too sweet. It's too sweet. And cotton candy is my favorite flavor. I'm like, how come I'm not liking this? You know why I didn't like it? Because the satisfied soul loathes the honeycomb. I had started becoming so satisfied. My my dopamine teeter-totter was not hitting the bottom as many times. It wasn't crashing out on the bottom because I stopped eating the sugar. So I, I was so even, I didn't need that high. And so the taste of what used to make me high was like, I don't need this. And y'all, I dumped it out. Like I pulled up to wherever I was going. I was like, I really don't even need this. I dumped it out because my soul was satisfied. You're teaching your soul how to be satisfied. So remember in the hierarchy of spirit and soul and body, let's look at what the soul is made of. Mind, your soul is your mind, your will, and your emotions. Okay. So here's what's important to note. Your mind produces thoughts. Your will produces desires. Your emotions produce feelings. When you satisfy your soul, when you satisfy your thoughts, and when you have satisfying thoughts, when you satisfy your desire and you have satisfying desires, when you satisfy your feelings and you have satisfying feelings, you'll start loathing the honeycomb. Are you subscribed to my YouTube channel yet? 
I love creating weekly lessons that will bring value and insight to you on your writing, publishing, and book marketing journey. When you listen to my podcast, you learn through your ears. But when you watch my YouTube channel, you learn through your eyes and your ears, making double the impact in half the time. See you over on YouTube.